everyone, and welcome back to Game Talk Radio. I'm Greg. I'm Jen. And this is episode 23. 23. We're past the drinking age. Yeah, again. It's now not cool anymore. It's, yeah, now now we've gone from it was cool to be drinking again to now <laughs> you're just sad. Well, because it's legal. It's not fun anymore. Right. So uh, this one's finally back to the regular. Yes. We, we took, obviously, we had our Japan trip, so we took a long break for that, and then we had two episodes Um basically bragging about how awesome japan was when you <laughs> when you poor people couldn't go um, spoiler alert it was and, fantastic uh, and uh so we had that and then we uh you know did the two the two-parter of that and now we're back to our regularly scheduled programming yes so today we actually have a lot to cover today this is going to be awesome uh but uh, the first story i want to talk about Mm-hmm. was uh, E3's coming up. So E3 is the big electronic entertainment expo. Oh, I see where the 3E comes yeah, from. Yeah, right, right. Ah. So it's a good marketing thing. And uh, E3 used to be uh, this really cool kind of private event where only people in the industry could go. And us gamers kind of just sat at home and eagerly awaited to hear all the news about it. Mm-hmm. Well, I got to go to E3 in 2006. I was working for GameStop. And GameStop had a certain amount of passes that they could... Um, that you could go. And so I went, uh, and that was the year before the PS3 and the Wii came out. So it was a really cool year to go because I got to play the PS3 early. I got to play the Wii early. Uh, the 360 already been out. I got to play, I remember playing Guitar Hero 2, which the first one was really awesome, but the second one had a two-player. Talking about bragging. Oh, geez. man. It was it was such a good time. Um, now E3 is actually open to the public. So if we wanted to, we could uh, buy tickets and go if we ever just wanted to go to the vendor floor. But if everybody can go, it's not really as exciting to go anymore, right? Totally. Um, so anyway, talking about E3, one of the first article I want to talk about today was the uh, E3 plans of Microsoft. So one of the articles that came out this week was that 343 Studios, which is the, the current creator of all the Halo games, has said definitively that Halo 6 will not be at E3 this year, which isn't really a super, super big surprise because they have had a Halo game come out recently. Yeah, it was 2015. Yeah, and they take a couple years in between Halo titles, so it makes sense. But what the reason I wanted to talk about this story is because without Halo and with Gears having just come out with a new game last fall, I don't know what they have to show. They'll most likely show a new Forza game because they, you know, realistically Microsoft has a certain amount of franchises. They have Forza, they have Gears of War, they have Crackdown, and they have Halo. And I guess you could argue that, I mean, they have other ones, but those are like the annual ones take crackdown out of there. The annual ones are Forza, Gears, and Halo. That's like all they have. So if you're not going to have a new Gears, you're not going to have a new Halo, you're probably going to have a new Forza because they do it almost annually now. So you'll have a Forza. They're going to talk about Crackdown 3. And then they're going to talk about Project Scorpio, which is like the newer, more powerful version of the Xbox that's coming oh out. Oh my God. And because that's coming out this fall, it's kind of like the PlayStation 4 Pro, except it's going to it's going to do that idea, but it's going to take that idea way further. Like they're making it like really, really powerful and it's going to do like true 4K apparently and everything. So, OK, so you're doing all that. But but like what what else are they going to have? I'm actually really kind of concerned about it. And, yeah, there's a bunch of little one off titles. I'm sure they'll, sh- they'll probably show Cuphead again. The game we're still waiting for from Xbox, the cool oh, 20s cartoon style yeah. or whatever. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure they'll show that because that's like been their indie darling for like the last couple years but i don't know what else they have to talk about well according to reddit because there was a halo community update on reddit and uh the comment was i'll slip into my dream crusher persona for a minute 
in the name of realistic expectations. We've uh, we've said this already, but we'll have a little something at E3, but it's not related to the next major entry in the franchise of... Yeah, um, so pro- probably like Halo Wars 2 DLC or something like that. I don't know. That was the Halo community manager, Brian Ger- Gerard. I mean, at least you're being honest about it, you know? Well, it's true, because otherwise, you know, you're going to go to E3 expecting something, or you're going to hear about it later and and wonder, well, why didn't you tell me? And I was all all looking forward to this. But if you look at the track record, Halo usually takes around three years in between each title. So why would you expect, if a game was released in 2015, that you would get one? Right. I think it's probably, and they might even still do this, they might even have just a teaser, right? Where, like, they show some sort of trailer, we don't know what's happening, then all of a sudden, like, kind of like what they did with Halo 5, it was, like, someone walking through the desert, and then all of a sudden he has, like, the shawl on, and he, he, like, he pulls the hood down, and it's Master Chief, which I find really funny, because he's wearing, like, a suit he could survive in space. But he's walking through the sand, and yeah, he's got to wear like a a, a cape. It's, it's so stupid, not but good, anyway, not good. Uh, yeah, outfit it, choice there. It's, it's fine. Um, but it it shows, I think, a bigger problem with Microsoft right now is that they just don't have much this entire generation. So the Xbox One stumbled out of the gate. PlayStation Four ran away with the game. Microsoft's been trying to make like strides towards coming back. They last year at E three they really focused a lot on games. They talked about games. They they showed us stuff like Phantom Dust like a reboot of an old franchise that was really kind of a cult hit. They had a game called Scalebound. Um, all these really good things that looked really awesome, and Scalebound's been canceled. The reboot of Phantom Dust was canceled. Apparently they're still making a remake of the old game, but they, the total rebirth was, like, canceled. So to me it just kind of shows a more a bigger issue with Microsoft right now is that what are they focusing on? And And what they're always missing as a company is that they never focus on the games. And it's the same mistake that Sony made with the PlayStation 3. They were trying to make it a multimedia device. Stop with all that nonsense. Just give us a gaming system. It's what we want. Right. And I mean, it's not like there aren't some little independent, you know, non-AAA developers that are out there that have really good ideas that could easily be scooped up by Microsoft to do a Microsoft-only game that has a good storyline, great gameplay, what have you, anything that those gamers out there that play the xbox one it's just it's very surprising to me they're not trying to get more exclusive titles and and i think part of the problem is as you get more successful like sony when sony jumped out of the gate and they were so successful they they drew people to them naturally Mm -hmm. you know microsoft can spend a bunch of money getting people to make games for them but in the end it's going to come down to People want to make games for systems that are, one, easier to make games for, which I believe the PlayStation is an easier console right now to make games for. Like, Sony's more welcoming as far as putting stuff on the store oh, and sure. helping you out. But also, this the actual, like, like the interface, um, which which is surprising because you'd think that Microsoft, you know, creating Windows would, would be the ultimate machine to be able to put your indie games on. But I think Sony's just more receptive and more helpful uh, from a, a business perspective as well. And people naturally gravitate to that. You know, people who make games like for PlayStation 4 and Xbox One, they want to be wooed still. Like they want to be they want to be helped and they want to be treated like customers almost. You know, they don't want to be treated like they're the bad guy or that they're, you know, kind of like what Nintendo did way, way back in the day where they were charging people a fee to get their game on there. (sighs) You know, and like like the whole Tengen cartridge thing and licensing cartridge design because they just want an extra cut of the money. Sony and Microsoft still both have licensing fees. I'm not saying they don't. It's just it's not as abrasive 
and I think Sony's just attacking it more of like a hey, come be on our team sort of thing. It just seems like their PR is a little bit better that way. But mm-hmm. so I don't know. So I just think that uh, Microsoft is really dropped the ball this generation and they're losing a lot of market share still and now with nintendo switch coming up i don't know i don't i don't see where (laughs) microsoft has any room to wiggle right now they're losing i mean they're always going to have their customer base and they're always going to have the halo fanatics and stuff but even like destiny 2 is coming out it's coming to pc ps4 and xbox one and i mean microsoft's got like this play anywhere deal where like, if you buy a game on Xbox 360, you can play it on your PC. It's like a cross-buy kind of program like PlayStation does between Vita and PS4. So it's like if you have a good PC, why would you ever play anything on the Xbox? Hmm, I mean, true. really, because you can just play it on your PC. I don't but think I've ever played anything on the Xbox, honestly. I have not turned on the Xbox since you moved in, I think. <laughs> that that might be accurate. <laughs> um, yeah, I just don't ever use the Xbox for anything. It's kind of weird. All right. Let's talk about, uh, you know classic 1987 arcade game now greg you've played contra before contra is an nes classic uh (laughs) it is it is one of the best classic games ever made it's by uh, konami but when you've played contra do you think to yourself man i wish there was a movie about this (laughs) i uh we we (laughs) often talk about the poor decisions that studios make when they decide to make video game movies here Uh, whether it's uve bold slaughtering our our childhood dreams or if it's whatever so in china yes the chinese the chinese are are taking a stab at contra so contra is getting a live action film and uh i just want to uh i just want to give a synopsis of the movie here yeah in in night okay excuse me do you use your movie your movie voice in 1988 a huge meteorite lands on an uninhabited island in the south china sea chen kang and li zhong investigate but come up empty-handed 29 years later chen sends commandos bill and lance (laughs) (laughs) into a combat mission there to neutralize the villainous red falcon organization but end up facing a different enemy altogether so about that synopsis i love the fact that bill and lance because that's the name of the dudes in contra right it's a bill mad dog riser lance (laughs) scorpion bean (laughs) fight an alien menace on an unnamed island in south america that is excellent uh so there's that and then what's funny though is they go to neutralize the red falcon organization which is exactly the story of contra you go there to fight this military organization and then spoiler alert it's aliens so, but the, end of the, but the end of this says, but ends up facing a different enemy altogether. So they're clearly hinting at aliens with the meteorite crashing. <laughs> uh, so I think that's kind of funny because it talks about in 1988, a huge meteorite lands. So they're, they're doing a throwback to like Contra coming out in the eighties. Right. And then, uh, they're, <laughs> then, then they're saying, oh, but you know, years later, which is today, modern day, Bill and Lance. Uh, are sent to neutralize the villainous Red Falcon organization. So this is a movie I will hope probably, I don't know, I guess illegally download and watch because I doubt we'll be able to get it. So. Uh, just to, we don't we don't condone that type of behavior. Yeah. Um, we, we suggest you buy all the media you wish to consume. <laughs> but if it's not able to be bought, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'll right. find it at Wizard World. Like someone will have it on a bootleg DVD stand and I can just pick it up. And I don't know how many movies China makes in a year or anything but apparently chinese social media is blowing up that they're speculating that some 28 year old starlet named jing chan 
might be cast in the film. Mm-hmm. It's a woman. So oh, I don't cool. know who she's supposed to play. I kind of thought it was just the two guys. I kind of want to watch this. There's a live action movie teaser. <laughs> kind of want to watch this. I haven't. I haven't watched it actually. I'll tell you what. I'm going to watch this. Let me turn the audio down so that I don't blow up anybody here. And I'm just going to watch this. It's not very long. It's 17 seconds. Okay. So there's like this 3D like a bird. Yeah, like a which is actually the like the it's Contra got, logo. It's that's got actually guns. that's very cool. That's okay. neato. I'm, I'm already. I'm already You're excited. Invested. Um. <laughs> Oh, that's I, the whole trailer. It's, all, it's, all, it's just the birds. <laughs> so basically, it's, it's like the bird unfurling its wings with the guns and the knives and the pointies. Yeah, it says Contra on top, and then it, it like it unfolds to like the emblem when you would get a weapon in Contra is like the golden eagle with the wings spread. It kind of folds out to something like that and has the gun shooting while it does it. So okay, well that was well there you go. That was something. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so you know another video game movie. I don't I don't mind when when countries like it's weird because when other countries do movies based on games or anime they stick very close to the source material. Yes. They they get the names right, they get the story right, they do all that. Unlike, you know, Battleship which didn't have a plot. Yeah. It was Oh, you're talking about um was it ba- yeah, Battleship. Battleship. Yeah, yeah. Battleship which was awful. How could you make a movie out of that? Why would you make a movie out of that? Is <laughs> that's a better a question. Good, that's a better question. <laughs> they're, they're, I think they're making a. They're working on something too. Is it a Tetris movie or something? What? Like they're straight up making a movie, a Tetris movie. What was that one with Adam Sandler that is vile? Pixels. Yeah, that was weird. It's incredibly vile. That that that's that movie offensive to my senses. That movie offends every. I was just gonna say that movie offends every one of my senses <laughs> on on such a serious level. And let's just start at the base level. I'm not gonna go on a huge Pixels rant here. Um, but first of all. 3D quote unquote pixels. Those are actually called voxels. Oh, okay, so nerd you don't alert. you don't you don't make a movie called Pixels and have 3D block <laughs> images. Okay, <laughs> but it's Adam Sandler and he's a piece of garbage, so it's fine. Well, he has his he has his moments. He had his moments. Ooh, I'm I'm, I'm yeah. gonna me and uh, me and were talking about this the other day actually. So me and Dom were talking about this and we feel like he felt like. Waterboy was actually he didn't really like it he thought it was okay okay and he saw the slide coming which I I totally agree with like after Happy Gilmore like everything else is a, after Wedding Singer everything else is a slide. yes um but specifically he didn't like Little Nicky at all when I first watched Little Nicky I thought it was really stupid but then mm-hmm. I, I I grew into that movie and then to me everything after that is almost unwatchable did you know he's fifty now that sounds about right. So let's look at his filmography just for a moment. Sure. And it's um You can see all the ones that are coming exclusively to Crackle. Because you know what I you know what movie I didn't like, which I probably should watch again. Okay. Is Punch Drunk Love. I have never seen that. I saw it, I watched half of it and I could not I usually do not turn off movies, I usually power through to the mm-hmm. end. That was one of the only movies I've ever turned off because I just didn't like it at all did you think it was bad or you just didn't like the material i didn't like the storyline i didn't like the acting i didn't like anybody in it but i would be willing to give it another chance because people tell me that it's a very good movie and it's a very good dramatic role for him i disagree but i am willing to try it again but okay so we've got shakes the clown (laughs) okay so Airheads. Airheads, definitely the one I remember it being in first. Billy Madison in 95, Happy Gilmore in 96, Bulletproof in 96, Wedding Singer in 98, Dirty Work. Oh, yeah, he wasn't Dirty Work. Dirty Work, Waterboy, <laughs> both in 98. Dirty Work was a small cameo, so it was probably fine. Then you have Big Daddy, which was in 99. Mm-hmm. Deuce Bigelow. Oh, God, Deuce Bigelow. Yeah, a lot of those Little cameos, Nikki yeah. was in 2000. So Little Nikki was after... 
was after Big Daddy. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'm on I or I'm on Wikipedia, sure, sure. so it's going in. Um, oh, cool. Okay. In order. Little Nikki, the animal, Joe Dirt, Mr. Deeds. I thought Mr. Deeds was okay, actually. Okay, that was 2002. Punch Drunk, Punch Drunk Love was also in 2002. He was working his ass off for like seven years there. Well, here's the thing. He was in Mr. Deeds, Punch Drunk Love, Eight Crazy Nights, and The Hot Chick, and Master of Disguise in 2002. All of those in 2002. Well, I think... I mean, Master of Disguise, I didn't even know he was in. So that must have been a really small cameo. Like, some of those are cameos, but, like, it's it, hard to it Crazy tell. Nights, he voice acted. Oh, you know. he was an uncredited cameo in The Hot Chick, too. Oh, okay. Um, the Hot Chick. Oh, my gosh. And, well, actually, I take that back. He was only the executive producer in Master of Disguise. Okay, let me let me make sure I'm doing actor. So that's the first column. Okay. Um, anger management. I actually like that. I did like that. That was in 2003. Okay. So yeah, I'm a little off on when I started hating him, but okay. 51st Days is a terrible movie. That was in 2004. Spanglish was also in 2004. The Longest Yard. I, okay. I did like Longest Yard, but that was a remake. Mm, that's true. Of an, of an old good uh, Burt Reynolds movie. That was in 05. Um, Click. That's where I think he started to click. That was in... 2006 then he did now i now pronounce you chuck and larry eh, it had its moments i really hate that guy the guy who's in that with him oh the guy that's um mall cop paul blart yeah paul blart yeah i, I can't hate remember paul his blart. real name his name is now paul blart kevin S- kevin something it doesn't kevin it doesn't James. matter yeah there you go it doesn't matter the boy so nice they named him <laughs> twice okay uh let's see uh i now pretend uh you don't mess with the zohan funny people that was in 2009. Mm-hmm. Then uh, Grown Ups. Mm-hmm. Just Go With It. Zookeeper. Jack and Jill in 2011. Uh, that's my boy. I've never even heard of that one. Grown Ups 2. Hmm. So great they made another one. Yeah. Well, the first one I think was kind of a hidden success, a hidden gem. Oh, really? Like, like I think it made money. And so they're like, well, let's quick turn out a sequel, you know, and, and which and oftentimes that sequel is straight trash, which I believe that movie was. A bunch of movies I've never heard of. Blended, Men, Women, and Children, The Cobbler, Top 5, Pixels was in 2015. Oof. So he's had a rough decade. Uh, let's see. Sandy Wexler. I don't even know what that is. That's in, That's an upcoming movie. The Do-Over. A lot of those new ones he's coming out to, like Netflix has like some exclusive deal where they're just giving him money to make movies and they're all awful, but Netflix, whatever. So anyway, anyway. So anyway, I would say that in my opinion, the where he started to go downhill was Click and that was in 20, 2006. Okay. So I think his this decade has been bad, but I think he's actually on his way back up again. Really? I'm going oh, I'm going to call it. I'm going right. to call it. Well, I would love to see him go back to his roots, but oftentimes I feel like with young comedians that are very uh I don't think he's going to do comedies. I mean, I think he'll do okay. I think he'll do more dramatic roles with some comedy undertones, but I don't think he'll go back to something like Billy Madison. I think he's just too old for see, it. See, I think they're going to go he's going to go back into the library because he doesn't know what to do to make good movies anymore. So he's going to make a Billy Madison 2. He's going to make a Happy Gilmore 2. He's going to make a Wedding Singer 2. He's going to he's gonna make all these like crap sequels because he's going to run out of quote-unquote original ideas. Wedding Singer 2 doesn't make any sense unless you did it as a, another period piece and it would have to be in the 90s. In the 90s, right. Or maybe he's Which, like trying to be a musician. And you I, know, that knows? might actually work. A 90s Wedding Singer sequel in 
in that decade because the Especially 90s are super it, popular right now. And if you do it now, it's 2017. So yes. if you do it now, it's you know, it's like 20 years ago. So yeah, well, more than well, yeah, 20. Yeah. Um, wow. Okay. Well, I wasn't expecting to go through an impromptu uh, <laughs> <laughs> revival of Adam Sandler's crappy career. So but... now that you know that, what do you think was his downfall starting? 2003. Okay. Yeah. So I think he it was a little bit later. Yeah. So, well, and the, the reason it's downfall to me, because when I was in high school, I was listening to his first CD that he made mm. and, it, and his album was a comedy album. At a medium album. pace. Y- yes. That was, uh, that, that album is for, especially for a high school kid, like <laughs> late middle school, high school kid. That was the greatest thing you could ever listen to. And it was stupid and it was funny and it was just all his out. comedy is very good. It, it, it was very, um, it was very uh, like raunchy too. Mm-hmm. So it was great, but it was raunchy in like a funny, stupid guy kind of way. Yeah. As opposed to being like like raunchy where like Eddie Murphy was raunchy and like, you know, but that was speaking to someone else. Like I felt like Adam Sandler was speaking to me, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but uh, so that album was great. His next album was also very good. It mm-hmm. had like uh, the goat skit and a bunch of other good stuff on there. And then I think his next album was like more music and it wasn't good. And then nothing after that was good. And then his movies were okay. And then his movies fell off too. So I just feel like where he started to where he's going now, it's just, and I, I mean, all actors go through that. Eddie Murphy doesn't do raw anymore. I was just you know? going to say, Eddie Murphy's like the one guy, like I haven't seen in any movie. He disappeared movie. because he made a bunch of like family friendly movies yeah. that were kind of crap. And then he's gone, you know? No, so. Shrek was good. Shrek was good. Did he make Shrek, though? He just voiced the donkey, you know? He just voiced a character. But... Oh, he was in it. I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah, I mean, like, I consider voice acting to be on par with real acting. Okay. If not... Yeah, I would say that because you have to be able to provide inflection and emotion with just your voice, whereas when you're acting, you have the benefit of also having facial expressions. Now, when it gets ultimately animated, they put that in, but that's not the... Unless they're doing motion capture where they put all the dots on your face, it's at the animator's discretion Hmm. to give your voice proper facial emotion. Hmm. Anyway, you say 2003, I say 2006... Contra's coming out. It's only in China. Yes. That's a good recap. So moving on. (laughs) (laughs) I really was not planning on going into Adam Sandler's filmography, so... I think that's okay. It gives it gives our podcast color. Yeah. You know, then people people who were sick of all that stupid video game stuff, but love Adam Sandler movies now just got a a taste of some... Now hate us. And now hate us. Because they loved Deuce Bigelow. (laughs) Yeah, I did... (laughs) Anyway, okay, so the Switch eShop has been under fire a little bit. Oh, well, is, it, it is it the eShop or is it the developer of said game? Well, it says, well, the title of the article that we found on Destructoid was the Switch eShop version of Rhyme won't cost more after all. Right, so the idea, and I, I've been kind of following the story for a couple weeks, but basically Rhyme is coming out on PS4, um, PC, Xbox One, and Switch. And the game's thirty bucks on all systems, except except for the Switch. It was forty. <laughs> and and to their credit, as we talked about before, the Nintendo Switch cartridges are more expensive to produce. Plus, they don't taste good, so they have to <laughs> they have to attribute you know some so, of the cost to that. Right. So when you do physical media, so physical um, games, 
a cartridge costs more than a disc. We saw this way back in the N64 and PlayStation 1 days. The N64 games were cartridges. PlayStation 1 games were CDs. The N64 games were $10 more expensive at retail. Mm -hmm. So if if a brand new PlayStation 1 game back then was $49.99, every N64 game was $59.99. It's just how it was. Even the same game. Yeah, molded, injected plastic. Cartridges have always been a more expensive format cds were were a cost saver that was kind of the point plus they could produce better quality sound and nintendo famously made a mistake by sticking with cartridges in the n64 days uh if you remember or if not there was a there was a point where nintendo was trying to work with sony to uh to come out with this sony with this nintendo playstation essentially we should have talked about that uh oh yeah we, we will talk about that we'll, yeah, we'll kind of right it now um so uh <laughs> The Nintendo PlayStation. Right. So the Nintendo PlayStation, I mean, Nintendo was was messing around with the idea of a CD add-on and stuff, and then they just, they wanted to go with the cartridge format still. And so they did that knowing it was more expensive. So flash forward to the Switch. Obviously, you can cram a lot more data on a computer chip. Those things are so tiny. You can do a lot more than you could. It's very impressive what you can do, but it still is plastic. The manufacturing still takes more than it does just to stamp a Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. So if you do physical, it's always going to be more expensive to make a cartridge than just make a disc. So if yes. you're going to sell the physical version for 40 bucks on Switch, but it's only 30 on PS4, that's actually understandable. So that's not something to get really upset about no. because it makes sense. If they have to pay more to make it, then you have to pay more to buy it. That's just, that's the rule. That's how we go. That's how, you know, it works. However, However. on the eShop, the game there really there was no reason for the game to be more expensive. Now, what most likely happened was the the I don't know who makes the game. Maybe if you want to look that up for me, baby. Oh yeah, I will. So whoever makes Rhyme probably looked at it and said, "Well, if we're selling, if we want to promote digital, we should we we want the pricing to all be the same. We don't want people to not buy physical because it's too expensive. So let's just put them at the same price for pricing. It was probably something so that they could say, "Hey, we sold a million copies, million copies times forty bucks, forty million dollars." It is developed by Tequila Works. Okay. But the publisher is Gray Box and Six Foot. Okay. I have no All idea who those last companies two companies I've never heard uh, of. <laughs> so, so, okay. So, so Tequila Works also does... Guacamelee? Is that right? Deadlight in oh, 2012 yeah, Deadlight. and okay. Sexy Brutale. Cool. So, okay. So, the digital version was more expensive than the, dig- than the digital version on other systems. So that makes no sense at all. Now, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but to give the listeners who weren't in our living room uh, just a half hour ago kind of a recap, basically, um, there are certain contracts in place, right? So if Nintendo or big companies like EA Activision, when they go to a company like Walmart or they go to a company like GameStop, they want to sell them a bulk amount of their games. So they'll go to Walmart and say, hey, EA, for instance, will go to Walmart and say, we want to sell you a million copies of Mass Effect. Uh, you're going to retail them for sixty bucks. We're going to sell them to you for forty buck or forty nine ninety nine. You'll make ten dollars a game. Here you go. And then Walmart goes, okay, that's cool. But since the digital revolution, Walmart's been writing into their contracts as they buy these games. Walmart writes into the contract that says you cannot sell your digital copy cheaper than we sell it for in the store. You're not allowed to undercut us because. If you sell it cheaper on there, you're going to hurt our sales. And in turn, we're going to stop buying as many copies from you. And that'll hurt their digital sales or their, uh, excuse me, their physical sales. It makes a lot of sense that they do that for that reason. Because if they're going to invest a million dollars worth of games or a million games or whatever it ends up being, 
they want to make sure that they can sell those physical yeah. copies. They need to be, they need to be, um, you know, they're, they're taking a risk by buying all those. They need to be rewarded and they need to be protected a little bit. So yes. that's what happens with the big guys. Now, it's possible that that's what happened with these guys as well, but if it was, they wouldn't have been able to drop the price. So what this tells me is that this, because this got a lot of bad press, a lot of people were saying, well, I'm not going to buy, why would I buy the game on Switch and I could buy it on PS4 for $10 cheaper and they were going to lose sales on the Switch version. So they finally broke down and they changed the price back to the retail price that the other digital versions are at, which is $29.99 or $34.99 if it's... um. I don't know what that might be the PC version. I'm not sure, but there's, there's a couple different price points, but basically they'll be the same price um, as they are in the other consoles. And uh, I don't believe that they have any sort of like connection to Walmart in a big sense that way. So like, they're not, they're not locked into these contracts, like a big company like EA Activision or Sony or Microsoft would be. So I guess they did the right thing, but they did the right thing based purely on the backlash that I had received. So I don't know. It's just kind of frustrating to me that essentially they were trying to get away with it, I guess. You know, it, it, there's also other Switch games that have been kind of frustrating. Like Lego City Undercover is a Wii U game that got ported to the Switch. And they want to charge 60 bucks for that. It's just really confusing to me. Like, like, And on other systems, it's cheaper. Like you can get it cheaper on PS4 and Xbox One. Right, because they didn't really have to do any real development except port it. The, yeah, to exactly. The system. And, and and porting it does take resources. You know, it's not like you just but flip not, a switch, but yeah. not the same amount that a brand new game from scratch right. would cost. So how can you? It was my same argument when they were bringing uh, Skyrim remastered to PS4 and Xbox One and charging full price. If they charged twenty or thirty dollars for that, I'd have jumped on that all day. Mm-hmm. But when you sell it for 60, you're acting like you built that game from scratch again. And you absolutely did not do that. Absolutely did not do that. It's almost like they need to have a set of... This is not related, really. To, I mean, it is, but it's more general. Um, To have, like, game testers play a beta version of the game and then say how much they would pay for it. Oh sure, like 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 price pointed out based on like like actually go to the market and yeah. do like market research on price testing and stuff. Like you said, and I've actually since you've originally said it, I've heard other people say it as well with No Man's Sky. They're like, It's a great game, but it's not a sixty dollar game. It's a twenty dollar yeah. downloadable game. It was a really great twenty dollar game that they chose to sell for sixty bucks. So it just seems like you played that and you probably probably would have said that if it was $50, if it was $40, even if it was, you know, $30, you probably would have said, I still feel like I paid too much for this game. And if probably. you went out <laughs> to the market and you had people play this game and say, it's almost like a focus group to say, how much would you pay for this? Like, what what is it about this game that you find great? What do you think is unnecessary? I don't know how much video game developers go out and seek the opinions of people who play their games. I'm going to guess not at all. And to me, that feels like you're really at a loss because where you, where do you know how to improve other than after the fact? And by then it's almost too late. Yeah. I, it's weird. Like the, I think the way they price these games out and some incorrectly price them out like No Man's Sky, but they look at the amount of development time that goes into it they look at the scale and scope of the game mm-hmm. and then they make a price based off of that. So, cause there's some games like, I mean, you could argue that if it was based off of total time, amount of played and amount of content, Skyrim could be like a hundred dollar game. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously there's industry standards where they, they kind of 
you know, they generally keep games at 60 bucks because they know that if they all of a sudden march up to 70, people would buck against that trend. But when it comes to indie games, how do you know to charge five, 10, 15 or 20 bucks for it? You know, I guess it really comes down to what you think your customers will pay. And it's, you think they would do market research. And maybe they do, like maybe they do a focus group, Mm -hmm. a small focus group in the cities they're in. I mean, a marketing department that's smart should do that. But who knows if, who knows if an indie team that's only made up of two or three people would hire a focus group to do the pricing. Like if I thought about that, like if, well, we did make a game and it was awful, but if if we made a game we were going to try to sell and not mm-hmm. just give away for free because of how bad it was, then I wouldn't have any market research to back that up either. I would just look at it and go, you know what? I think this kind of game for what it is would sell a lot at three bucks. Well, the thing is, is that really what it comes down to is that you're not getting you're getting a biased opinion if you keep things in house. If you only have your internal people doing QA and and playing it and playtesting it and everything. Yeah, that's true. And I know that this is very true, not just with game development, but also with any sort of other development, like website development, app development. You, because you've seen it so often, you are more willing to gloss over issues that you encounter or you find a workaround that works for you and it was frustrating at first but now you know if you do this click 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 you can get around that issue and Mm -hmm. then you don't write it up to get fixed because you've almost ignored it yeah yeah you always need a set of fresh eyes i think that's fair and i mean like you said i can't remember what video game it was with the menu system being really frustrating where you had to do things uh, one at a time. No, I was talking to a coworker about a game he was playing, and he and he was complaining that in order to do, like he had to sell something, and there wasn't a sell all. Yeah, I had to sell everything individually. Sure. And sure. he said, "Who who would think that that was okay?" And it's because <laughs> when people are doing a playthrough, they're focusing on one thing. You know, if they're doing video game testing, they're they're not playing it like a normal average consumer would play right where they hoard all of these items but like i'm playing persona 5 and i you know do the dungeon crawl aspect of it and i go to sell all of the quote unquote treasure and there's a sell everything button that's awesome remember how um wasn't it south park they had like a sell all junk button so yeah. like all the stuff that was just meant to make you money mm-hmm. boom one button and just sells it all like like and that, that's exactly what persona yeah. 5 does and it's great because now i don't have to pick and choose yeah but it would be nice to be able to order my items i don't think i can yeah. do that maybe i can and i just haven't noticed it so the idea is just that sometimes you just need fresh outside eyes yes. to give you like a good perspective on your business model i agree with that uh, so anyway, you know, it'll be thirty dollars. Yeah, so so kinda. as as a as an internet crowd we do have a voice. So if you do um share your, you know, discontent through different social media and things, you can get things changed, you know. You you can uh, you can complain enough and they will fix it. Well, Greg <laughs> This now this is the story I generally want to talk about. <laughs> when we went to Japan, Greg Went to Akihabara and bought a lot of video games mm-hmm. um, and brought them back. He, he actually mailed them to uh, hit the store. 
And, uh, you know, it was a great experience because we managed to fit everything, every game that you had bought, plus all the candy that we had bought earlier that day. (laughs) We did did ship a ton of stuff home. Shoved it into a box and mailed it. um, And it got back to, gosh, we got that like four days later, didn't we? Because we mailed it it the day before we left. Yeah. And we got it like three days after we got home. And it was very nice because we went to the post office at like three o'clock on a mm-hmm. saturday and hey they were still open yeah it was what, nice. what a what a pleasure that was but anyway we didn't have to go through airport security with all of these electronics or video games which was great probably a good idea now that we look at this story. probably a good idea because um, mexico's federal police yesterday intercepted a shipment of contraband goods headed for the united states from guadalajara airport now you might be thinking greg you know okay you're going through the airport security. You know, you got the guy that like taped all the, the cocaine to his legs and wore the <laughs> great big baggy pants, right? Yep. To try and cover it up. Yep, yep. The guy that put iPhones all over his body trying to get through airport security. So it wasn't drugs. No, no. It wasn't weapons. No, no. But inside fake Famicom games. So inside fake Famicom, which are... Well, I don't even know if they're fake because there are circuit boards there. They're bootleg. So they were real Famicom cards, but Famicom is the Japanese regular Nintendo. So Japanese NES. So 10 cartridges with labels like Jurassic Park, Robocop 2. I see a Terminator one there. Inside these Famicom games. (laughs) What were they? They were smuggling. Vials. 32 tubes of live spiders. Oh. Yeah, so there were, in this bust, there were 73 tubes to, 73 tubes stashed inside the hollow top section of each plastic case. So if, you, if you've if you opened up a Nintendo game before, which I have many times, there's actually a lot of wasted space Could in there. Could you imagine if you did that and there was a bunch of spiders in it? Yeah, like I open it up and there's just a tube of live spiders. That would freak me out a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I found some really nasty stuff inside of like games and How game systems. How get up there? It, I don't know. I don't know. I don't even want to start thinking about that. But so, yes. <laughs> yes. So yes, 73 tubes stashed inside the hollow top section of each plastic case, each one containing a live spider. One spider per tube. Right. And so when, when there's actually a video from from Meta, uh, Mexico's federal police. And, you know, the guy's got the gloves and he's just like slowly opening up. And you see it's probably about an inch and a half of top space in those Famicom games. Mm-hmm. And there's, I think, seven, I'm counting one, two, three, four, five, seven tubes, and they're probably about an inch long. They've got plugs on either side, and inside is a spider. Now, they were headed for Hanover, Maryland. And we talked about this earlier, why this would happen, and it has to be that the, so the guy so many questions is about this um what do they call it an entomologist where they they study insects. There's that's, probably that's one possibility. There's probably um one that's specifically for spiders, and this might be considered illegal because when you're talking about animals or fruits or vegetables or food of any kind, mostly produce. But animals, livestock, you're not meant to transport that across the borders. Right. There's a good reason for that, obviously. like like... Invasive species. Exactly. Yep. I mean, when we were in the uh, airport, what was that? When we were getting into Dallas? We were in Dallas and there was that little beagle that was from the U.S. um, 
agriculture. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was a little tiny. It wasn't beagle. a drug sniffing dog. No. It was a are you bringing foods from another country, dog? And there was a guy that unfortunately had eaten probably because he knew that he wasn't supposed to bring it in. Uh, had eaten a banana that he had gotten from Japan. Yeah, <laughs> and he, brought he, it. Yeah. <laughs> And so, yeah, so he eats the banana and then he just threw away the peel mm-hmm. in like a regular garbage can. Right. And they want you to throw it away on the plane because the plane, whatever they do, they dispose of it properly. Right. But this dog, this cute little beagle who, you know, has a little vest and he's like <laughs> butt wiggling around and he jumped up on this guy's, or not onto, but jumped on, like put his paws up on this guy's suitcase and, you know, the lady was like, sir. Do you have any fruits and or vegetables in this bag? <laughs> and then he's like, well, I, I just ate a banana. So he's like, I just yeah, ate it. She, she was like, a very terrifying woman. Sir, where's the peel? <laughs> and he's like, I threw it away over there. She's like, I need you to go get that peel, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she she was not having any of his nonsense. No, and her reasoning was that... It, he couldn't just throw it away in a regular garbage because it defeats the purpose. It needed to be disposed of properly by right. either, either the people on the plane or the people that were part of the U.S. Board of Agriculture. So that was really all that dog was meant to do was f- sniff out um, fresh fruit and produce or fresh fruit and vegetables, produce in general, so that you don't bring it in because it could cause a whole host of problems. Yep. And I mean, that there, there's been other like celebrities who've gotten in trouble. I think like Johnny Depp got in trouble yeah. for like apples or something yeah, dumb so- like that into Australia. And Australia is really yeah. but they're, but they're about movie that. stars with a lot of money. Didn't he have to? Oh yeah, he do some apology, right? And then he filmed the well, apology, he, and it was like the most half-assed apology of all time. He didn't. He didn't quarantine like he was going. I think it was Australia and he was filming or something and he like flew on his private jet and his wife at the time or girlfriend or whatever. They brought their two dogs and you're not allowed to do that. You mm. need to have them quarantine for several months. Or or are they or or they could stay on the plane probably. But I don't they even probably think that. that. No, okay. But they got in trouble because you're supposed to disclose that and then they're supposed to be quarantined. When I was thinking about actually moving to the UK, I looked at it. I was like, well, how do I bring my cats with me? And they had to be quarantined for six months. Yeah, that'd be awful. It was. I was like, how? Where do you? Where are you putting them? Like, are they just in some kennel? I mean, that's terrible. I couldn't. I couldn't yeah. do it. But yeah, so I'm trying. I'm just trying to. There's so many questions. I'd like to believe that it was a drug lord smuggling spiders up, so he could kill somebody in a creative way. Like he was planning this elaborate. Like he's going to torture somebody <laughs> by killing them with a bunch of little spiders. I think it was a scientist that wanted to do research on certain arachnids that were only found in Mexico, and for some reason he could afford to pay a guy to smuggle them in Famicom games, hmm. but couldn't go to Mexico himself. <laughs> and why are there Famicom games in Mexico? That's what I. There's so many questions. <laughs> so many questions. So many so questions. Many... But not enough time for all these questions, no, sir. Because we have to move on. Where is the peel, <laughs> sir? You? But that's how she said it. Yeah, it was. She was. She was. She was all business. So we have to go like to some bummer news now. You know, I don't like to go to bummer news. I mean, we had some horror news. I guess this podcast is all about like it's the range of emotions. We had yeah. comedies. Adam Sandler. Yes. We go through the horror of spiders and Famicom games, mm-hmm. and now we're going to the drama, the sad effect of uh, Bioware Montreal, who uh, just finished uh, working on Mass Effect Andromeda <laughs> for the most part. 
Ass effect. Um, on aspect. So they've been working on that. Obviously, it was a big thing. We covered that story a couple times with some shoddy animations and stuff like that. You know, not from what I hear from the people that played it, I still haven't played it yet. It's a very average game. So it's not a bad game by any stretch. It's just not a good Mass Effect game. And it's just not a great game. It's just very It's not generic. up to the standards yeah. that people think of when they think Mass Effect. They, they set a high bar for themselves with the first trilogy. So looking at this game, um, so Bioware Montreal has been scaled down and they've been turned into a support studio. Which to me sounds like a demotion. It's absolutely a demotion. Now, it sometimes does happen, though, after you release a big time game. Because if you release a big time game, you're kind of in the early stages of working on your next game. So not all of your hardcore people are all going to be working on the next game yet because you're still in the early phases of that. Plus, they were probably working ridiculous hours. Sure. I mean, like we learned when we talked about AAA development with Amy Hennig and, and everything with her, talking about how she worked 80 hours a week working on the Uncharted series. Right. So, so there's I mean, a lot of burnout. Makes you know? sense. So it's a nice little kind of do- downtime for the developers but to everybody else it seems like it's like oh it seems like people close to the studios though have said that they've been changed to a support studio now if mass effect Andromeda had sold a ton they'd be working on dlc right full-time and they'd be working on the next levels of the sequel that's not in that's not included in the support i don't think so okay um i mean they probably are working on dlc but they probably scaled the team down because it's a low priority because of the low sales of the game sure so their support studio which sometimes for ea means they're about to break you up too like sometimes they'll break up the studio they'll rebrand it and then they'll just have you working on different games whatever they can and uh and mass effect this is this is their words mass effect's been put on ice for now Mm. so it looks like it it didn't perform well and so now they're going to put the game on hold while they try to figure out what to do with the franchise this is really upsetting to me because mass effect is one of my favorite series but it's all EA's fault. This was this wasn't that studio's fault. That company's trying to streamline all their processes by doing algorithms that do facial animations. Mm-hmm. They're trying to be able to churn out. I mean, and let's let's be fair. Okay, so Bioware Montreal is what I would have called like the Bioware C team back in the day. Sure. So they were a studio that was good, but they're not your number one studio. No. Why is your number one studio not working on? your number one franchise. That's what I didn't understand. I mean, technically that's not true. I mean, they probably sell more copies of Madden than they do Mass Effect. They probably sell more copies of Battlefield. But even Battlefield is done by DICE, so they they're, they take care of that. It's a totally different story. They're fine. But, like, this is not your best people, even at Bioware, working on Mass Effect. So why, why, why did they set their team up to fail, I guess is what I'm looking at. So you took one of your, your favorite franchises, one of your most beloved franchises with a very rabid fan base, clearly, mm-hmm. Yes. And then you just took this opportunity to to not put a full 110% effort into it. You basically just said, well, we'll treat it like our other properties, like an annual kind of entry. Let's make it quick. Let's make it fast. Let's make it cheap. Let's make it easy. And let's make it, you know, with as le- least headaches as possible. But it's like you said, and I think you said this, it doesn't mean that the other studios for BioWare other the other two studios that they had were still working on pieces of it. Um, in Austin and Edmonton and this article talks about how Edmonton which is also I think that's in Canada too Edmonton mm-hmm. yep. um, were responsible for the first three Mass Effect games so that goes back to what you said Studio C based right. in Montreal we know that 
other things regarding Mass Effect Andromeda were being worked on in Austin because we know someone that actually works at Bioware as one of the writers. So we know that there were other pieces that were getting taken, but does that mean that Montreal was really responsible for all that algorithm and all that sort of snafu? You you don't know, but you do know that as a company they failed to to make a good product or to at least recognize it wasn't a good product. Like, how long was this in development? Because it's not just the facial animations that made this a bad game. Okay, sorry. This isn't just the facial animations that made this an average game. Mm -hmm. You took one of your biggest franchises, your only, like, RPG slash sci-fi. It's totally different from everything else you do. And you just handed it to an inexperienced team Right. In that in that field and said, here you go. And then you didn't keep a close eye on them. Like, it's okay to give it to them, but then you have to have, they need help to make that product good. And I don't know if, if everything looked good up to the point of release. I, I just feel like they dropped the ball. Upper manager dropped the ball on this one. Well, right. Because you don't let somebody who goes to medical school and only reads out of books and doesn't do any real honest to God practice until they get into their internship. You don't let them perform surgery right away. You have them first watch, and then they watch and ask questions and take a, take a couple tests. And then maybe they do little minimal things. They stitch up people during surgery. And then maybe they take, oh, we're going to have you be responsible for taking out, you know, let's say they're taking out a piece of somebody's spleen for whatever reason. We're going to have you take that part out, but then the actual head surgeon is going to do the main thing. So it just, as you were saying... You don't give a humongous revenue-driving game to a green set of developers without having somebody advise them and work with them. And they may have had that, and maybe they didn't ask for help. Maybe they did, and they were told, it's fine, you can do it. We just don't know because we weren't privy to those conversations. But the end result it's very obvious that whoever was guiding them wasn't doing a good job or wasn't managing them effectively. Because even the voice acting is only so-so as well. Yeah, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of failure. And so what I've been doing as you've been looking stuff up, so I, I went to look up kind of what Bioware Edmonton's or uh, what they've been known for, um, you know, like what games they've worked on. And it looks like they were formed in 2009, um, this is Bioware Montreal. Um, and they were working with Edmonton very closely on the Mass Effect series. So I almost think that they started off like towards the end of Mass Effect. They started off like helping them with that game. And then they took over the reins. So they were like a junior division helping out the main studio with the game. And then they kind of took over. It just, I don't know. This, this just reeks of me of just, just piss poor upper management and just not, not handling a very good franchise um, with a very rabid fan base. It's just not smart. Well, and it goes back to the getting either outside help or a fresh set of eyes, like we mentioned before with game testing, because anybody who looked at that gameplay would have said, what is up with that facial stuff? Why are their eyes look dead? And why are they walking so weird? Anybody that looked at that in beta testing could see that. Yeah. So why didn't they? I don't and know. I will admit, I mean, there might have been much more, much bigger issues exactly. that were prioritized higher. So I get that. 
but something so glaringly obvious, I feel like Montreal should have stopped everything that they were working on and helped them, you know, put everything on because that, you know, okay, so you're the next game that you're going to develop Montreal is going to get delayed by six months because you got to help these guys out. They're just they're dying. Why didn't that conversation happen? Nobody would have heard about it. Nobody would have cared because the end result would have been so much better. But like you said, it's a failure at upper management to realize something is wrong. Something is not working. This is going to, and especially with everything being against or anti or or hating something is so en vogue right now that people were just looking for things to hate about this game yeah well and like so the edmonton studio that originally worked on this that's been one of the original bioware studios from 1995 mm-hmm. they, they made the yeah. and developed the first three of them so they they did the good stuff and then um they uh so then this new studio kind of comes up and it's like oh well we'll we'll help you out and it's and then they just passed it to them like like they were ready for it you like know it's, and clearly, it's your problem now bye yeah maybe and maybe maybe they didn't want to give it to I, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me. Like you're treating it like it's it's not important, and that frustrates me when it's a really great franchise. It's very different, but you know, it is whatever it is. I mean, EA can do whatever they want. They clearly uh, crapped the bed on this one, and this game did not sell well. And hopefully, we'll get another Mass Effect game. On a side note, I got an email from uh, the Bioware store saying they have a new product in stock, and it was an N7 logo, like on my jackets mm-hmm. that I really like. But it's a magnetic car emblem. Oh, neat. Super cool, right? That's cool. You know, Greggy's got to get one of those, right? Greggy. Okay, guess how much it was. Um. Okay, how big was it? It's, you know, four inches by two inches, maybe. $70. Oh, okay. Well, that's way higher than it was. <laughs> it's just a magnet. The way that you said it made it seem well, like it was way expensive. It was $15, which oh, I, actually, I actually was like, I'll pay that. Yeah. And then I went to go to shipping. $7.50 for shipping. What? I thumbs downed it and I said, I'm not doing it. So mm-hmm. I, I backed off, and I that's it. I, I'm Plus, not, I, how do you prevent that from getting stolen right off your car? You don't. Unless it's sticky, and I don't want to stick it to my car. I just want to magnetize it. But it would look so good on my black car. It would. It would look. I, I want it really bad. But seriously, $15 I was okay with. Seven fifty shipping, a little magnet that fits in an envelope? Come on. No, I don't, Come on. I don't see that. I mean, even Nonsense. if you put it in bubble wrap and put it in a manila folder or a bubble folder... That's not $7 worth for shipping. No nope. way. That's like 3 bucks. Yeah, not as far as I'm concerned. That's like flat rate shipping. Like this media mail, it's, you it's know? It's super it's super cheap. I mean, like you could you could I've seen people mail me packages from China cheaper than that. Yeah. Like like envelopes and everything. It's all about, you know, what I don't I can't even think that they could justify $7 of shipping if you use, you know, a foot of bubble wrap. And a manila envelope yeah. with a label. I mean, no, that it just doesn't work that way. Yeah, pretty much. So our main story of the day, swapping out uh, from big companies we hate EA to other big companies we hate Activision. Uh, so, I don't hate Activision. I just don't <laughs> get Activision. Uh, I hate Activision. So Activision Blizzard, um, there, was a, there was an article that came out the other day saying that because they're trying to build their Overwatch League like from the ground up. So they're trying to build like 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 the NFL, the National Football League. They're trying to create the Overwatch League, whatever it would be. Wait. <sighs> so, we'll get into that in a bit. Jen's not a fan of esports, so <laughs> we'll 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 definitely going to get into that as the conversation we had earlier. But ESPN was reporting that to start a team, okay? So if you want to make your own um 
official team in the Overwatch League, you had to, the payments were around $20 million. That's two zero to million. S- to start a team in the Overwatch League. Now, to be fair, if an Overwatch League gets really big and say there's 20, 30, even 50 teams and it's really, really big, this will make a lot of money. People watch it. People pay a lot of money. I know. I see your scrunch face. Really? Over there. I, I mean, I don't. You've seen the numbers. You know it does. Well, here's the thing. I mean, not to derail, but I, I don't. I don't. I love Blizzard. I don't get Overwatch. Yeah. Okay. I just. I don't get the appeal. Totally. Totally. And that's totally understandable. So let me finish this, and then we'll roll right into that. <laughs> so. So yeah. So twenty million dollars per team. So that was a story that broke a couple days ago, and then Blizzard responded to that uh, in this four paragraph. Um, you know, basically it was a press release, I guess you'd say. And they're saying how they appreciate all the enthusiasm, yada, yada, yada. They want to make sure that everyone understands that their goal is to make an exciting Overwatch esports ecosystem. Okay, yada, yada, yada. Um, and then it's, you know, we'd like to dispel any rumors that we're ignoring endemics. Anyone who knows Blizzard understands how deeply we care about the communities around our games. The league is built upon the best elements of endemic esports programs and traditional sports, and we're in active discussions with many teams and owners from both worlds. It will take a village to stand up, uh, excuse me, uh, because it will take a village to stand up a league with such an unprecedented structure. Those conversations have been going well, and there's a lot of excitement. And then it says, this is the intriguing one. So it says, finally, it's important to think twice about statements from unnamed sources who may try to leverage the media to deliberately spread information as bargaining tactics or for other competitive reasons. So to me, that sounds like they're saying that a competitor who doesn't want to pay $20 million or a team, a possible soon to be team who doesn't want to play, pay $20 million, leaks this story. So that everyone picks up and goes, $20 million for a team, Blizzard somehow retracts it to save face and said, no, 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 it's only like $5 million a team. <laughs> then that person gets the team originally offered for $20 million for $5 million. I mean, they're, they're, they're bringing something to light, which I think is very important. You know, unnamed sources providing this information. ESPN latched onto it and said, $20 million. And it's like, wait a second, time out. You're taking this from some person who just said that that was what it was going to cost. So they're kind of shaming ESPN and whoever made this claim, I think, to to just be like, hey, you know what? You shouldn't do this. If you if you don't know who this is or you can't back it up, you need to come talk to us and not just report on it. Yeah. So my take on this is that I believe it's true. I believe I believe that Activision Blizzard is asking for around $20 million of contributions towards the league to be able to start a team. The reason I believe that is because this is a huge undertaking. You have to set up systems. You have to set up merchandising logos. You have to build, like, they're probably going to build some venues even to hold this. Like, this is, this is, they're building something from scratch. The marketing, the branding, all that stuff's going to cost money. So it's like a, like a franchise fee? I mean, almost? you could almost think of it that way. Like, it's it's everyone who's the first teams are all kicking in yeah. to pay for it. It's not like you're just paying $20 million so you can play. And quite honestly, you would get that back, even if something as simple as merchandising for a, a team right. name on a t-shirt, and, on a jersey, on a whatever. And I'm pretty sure Activision knows that, and that's how they're pitching it to people. Oh, is sure. They're, is they're basically saying, well, you're going to get your money back, so just relax. Pay the $20 million up front so that we don't have to incur all the cost in case it fails. <laughs> And then they pass along. So I'm actually not, I don't think that's that bad of an idea. The issue a lot of people have with it is that say like me and Jen wanted to start an Overwatch team professionally. 
Okay, so say we wanted to go find some players that were really good, start well, our own team, and join the league. You forgot the first step, is I have some sort of stroke. Right. <laughs> so say, say, say Jen hits her head real hard <laughs> and decides that she wants to own an esports team. Well, but, it's not the fact that I would own the team. It's that I would play Overwatch willingly. Right. No, no, you don't have to play. You're just going to be an owner. We're just going to... <laughs> We're just going to sit in the press box and make all that fat oh, Overwatch money. Oh, I see. Money. Drink, drink, you know, white Russians. We're, and... we're going to be the Cleveland Browns of the Overwatch League. Our team's never going to win, but they <laughs> split revenue. So we're always going to make money as long as we just have a team. <laughs> so anyway, the idea makes a lot of sense. So, But the, the issue a lot of people are having with that number is that, say me and Jen want to start a team. She hits her head real bad, says, Greg, please... Please. After we get married, can we just, for for my wedding gift, would you please get me an Overwatch professional team? <laughs> and I say, okay, babe, let's look into it. And we go to look into it, and it's $20 million. That means that me as a gamer, an average schmo, I can't start my own Overwatch team. No. I mean, so, I can. I just can't be in their professional league. But, but is it fair to say if I started a football team tomorrow, I couldn't join the NFL? You know, we're going to make a lot of references in this story to real, uh, excuse me, I keep saying that, not real sports, physical sports. Yes. Because we have to kind of change our thoughts and our process on that because esports are a sport. They're just not a physical sport necessarily. Right. I, I read an article that talked about how it was actually by Huffington Post and it was from 2015. So the data is a little outdated, but I think... There is a controversial dichotomy between sports and esports and what makes it real versus yeah. not real. And the, what the thing is, is that I came into this reading this article saying, well, esports aren't real sports. But then as I read this article from Huffington Post, it said, well, you could consider something like chess to be. Not necessarily in an electronic sport, but a mind Right. Well, based. what about something like NASCAR racing as a sport? Right. They drive in a circle. Mm-hmm. So there's not a lot of physical... I mean, you definitely have to endurance. have... Definitely endurance. There's <laughs> endurance. Know, it's about reflexes. There is, there is strategy involved. When do you pass? When do you not oh, pass? And yeah. I mean, I've learned way much than I really would care to know about that type of thing. But... <laughs> It it makes sense. I, I do think that you could consider electronic sports or video game, professional video game playing to be something it, like that. It would that. fall under the umbrella of sports. I think so. so. I, I And we'll get into this because I'm actually not a big fan of, of watching esports. Like, I don't do it at all. No. Um, but I think you have – it is a sport because if, look at the definition of a sport essentially is – like, like, let's say what a professional sports player is, is someone who gets paid to play a game. Now, baseball, football, basketball, those are physical games that people get paid to play. They're still playing a game. It, it was invented as a game and then became professional because a lot of people like to watch it and a lot of people like to play it. So it's the same thing with video games. They're, it's still a sport in the sense that you can get paid to play a game. It started off as a game and now it's turning into a professional sport. It is. It's just... You know, it's just a different type. It's it's a mental, it's it's a it's not a physical sport. Here's something funny. Dictionary.com okay. defines sport as an athletic activity requiring skill or physical prowess and often a competitive nature. Okay. So that's why I think they've branded it as esports. Esports. Because esports you could use the same things except swap out physical for mental i mean like as soon as somebody as soon as i read that article and the article had 
a, a graphic that contained entertainment was the top. Entertainment, a type of entertainment is game. And the type of games are physical, which are sports, mm-hmm. and mind games. So then physical sports has football, basketball, hockey, etc., etc. Mind games, and then I saw chess. I said, yes. Right. Chess is a competitive sport, but it's all in your head Yeah. about different types of moves and the such and such opening and the blah, 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 Bobby Fischer, blah, blah, blah. And then video games as esports. Now, they called them cyber athletes, which I think is a terrible name. Yeah, I don't think I like the term athletes for them either. No, I don't know. It's not yeah. athlete that bothers me. It's the word right. cyber. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't like that either. Because it has weird connotations if you were a kid in the, in the 90s. 90s. Yeah, well, the other the issue I have with this too is that they're tr- they're trying to copy sports. Yes. Like, like when they have like, e- like say like during Evo, which is a big fighting game tournament in Vegas every year. So they'll have like people wearing suits and they have them like they're at a commentator's desk. And I'm like, come on, man, this isn't, this <laughs> isn't baseball, you know, no. like, like you could do it your way. You know, don't try to mimic what the other guys have done. Like, do it your way. That's what got us here, right? So it's a little frustrating from that aspect. But I think I kind of nailed it down. Me and Jen were talking about this. But, like, I think what it is is I didn't grow up with YouTube streaming. And yes. I didn't grow up with eSports. So I have no attachment to it. I have no, I'm not entertained by that. I understand that there's definitely a younger... There's definitely a younger generation that does. Well, I mean, just the fact, the sheer fact of how many twitch streamers there are right and and there's a lot of people that like like we've talked about that before they're like oh you know this happens to me all the time at work i'm like oh did you play the new you know metal gear oh yeah i did it was awesome well i mean i didn't play it but i watched uh markiplier play all the way through it and it was awesome i'm like and i just get this look on my face like people associate you can't see it because i didn't say it. i'm like rolling my eyes like oh like i just got hit in the head with a baseball bat so like it, it doesn't comprehend to me but these people are associating watching someone play a game with playing the game themselves totally cool if that's what entertains you i don't care i just find it it's just very different for me because i grew up playing all these games right and i mean i have a different perspective because i was usually the audience i watched my older brother play video games when i was a kid and later i watched my sister play video games as a kid and you'd think that that would make you want to watch video games now but it doesn't because i don't know that person well in, but you like watching me play i do i know yeah. you yeah but what's funny is i don't and this you know Hopefully this isn't like bad to, for you to hear here, but I, I don't really like watching people play games, even like you. Like when you're playing Persona, I almost don't want to watch you play it because I want to play it later. So I don't give me that face. <laughs> don't give me that face. I love you. Mm. All right. Well, I find watching somebody play. Now, I cannot watch you play Rocket League because to me that's kind of boring. Okay. I, I don't find it entertaining to me because I don't really like soccer in general. Hmm. I think it's a really, 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 really boring sport. And I'm also not very good at Rocket League. So now, I will say that soccer or football in Europe is really entertaining. Live? Live. But I can't, I, like, I can't watch golf on television because I think that that's really boring. Plus, my dad watched it every Sunday during, like, the PG mm-hmm. Open mm-hmm. or whatever it's called boring as hell i agree did not enjoy it i love baseball baseball live is even better i love football i can watch football on tv definitely can watch football i love watching football i just find soccer in the states to be really boring i don't i don't enjoy it one bit but when i was in the uk i went to my first rugby 
uh, game, which was fantastic. Yeah, I'm jealous of that so bad. And we watched uh, a football game on TV. It was Man City and I can't remember who else. And that was so great. But Rocket League, for some reason, it just doesn't appeal to me. Yeah. And watching American soccer is not entertaining to me. So that kind of goes to our, our bigger point, I guess, which is like it's all it's all personal like if if you don't like esports that doesn't mean esports is dumb it just no. means that you don't like it and that you don't like like you said you don't get it you know mm-hmm. and it's like and like i get it i just don't like it <laughs> you know it's just it's like i understand why people are enjoy it and sometimes i'll watch a twitch streamer but i'm not you know i'm not watching twitch i was reading an article the other day where it was like kind of like horror stories of twitch streamers mm. it was like one guy who's a really big famous uh twitch streamer had someone like fly with a one-way ticket like to his house and like showed up on his doorstep and was hoping he could hang out with him oh weird very weird very very weird and how does he know where he lived well uh, apparently tried finding it through something through some whatever like like this guy did the homework and it was weird because he wasn't like a creepy guy like i mean i guess that act in itself is creepy but he wasn't like he was he was i think he was from like the philippines or he was from he was from a foreign country uh-huh. he bought you know, he was sick of his dad telling him he'd never be anything, or whatever. So he bought all of his money, he saved up, he bought a one-way ticket Aww. to the U.S. and thought that this guy, because he was so personable with people, and he would talk, you know, that that's so you know, sad. It, it really is, and it's not, it's not like that guy. I mean, the kid was bad or anything. It's just, you know, there's there's an attachment that certain people get to these people. Well, right. So I get that because they're accessible. You know, like like I watch football players, but I'm I've I've never really. I guess I can read their tweets and kind of understand where they're coming from but like these people you can watch them talking live all the time you can interact you can try to talk to them most of the times they'll ignore you but you could try you know well and that's that's also something that was mentioned in not the article that we're actually referencing but i wanted to know how much do esports players really make and you know what? What is this controversial sort of dichotomy? Which is a great. I love right. that word now, dichotomy. The reason you brought it up was because you you let's let's go into it a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit. So you felt like you have, you have an issue. Jen has an issue with athletes making like truckloads of money. Yes, I I just find it to be completely ridiculous because to me, the reason that somebody should play a game is for the entertainment and the enjoyment. Mm-hmm. And when you've got you know, any sort of professional athlete, professional physical athlete playing a game and they're making millions of dollars a year, it doesn't, it stops being about the game and it becomes about the money and how can I make more money? And then they lose touch with the people that are their fans and they become very selfish and they keep all their money. Now, not every athlete, not every professional athlete is like that. A lot of them do give back. And I mean, the, what is it, the Walter Payton Award that they yeah, give to yeah. the, out in the NFL every year is an exemplary athlete who also does exemplary work outside. Yeah, like charity work and yeah, everything. Yeah, but loads of money. I just think it is completely unrealistic that somebody can make a million, more than a million, millions right. of dollars playing 16 games right so so that's what kind of sparked is you were yes. like so then I, I i posed a question i was like well what do these guys make? yeah because because if they're making a million dollars a year to play like overwatch <laughs> then i'm like clearly in the wrong profession right i was like i i feel like i do a really butt-kicking job at my workplace 
but I don't make a million dollars. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and I feel like, and, and at least this, and this one might be a little bit different in our positions. If you work harder, you don't make more money. Like realistically, I mean, you, you work harder, you'll get a promotion. Eventually you'll make more money. Mm-hmm. Me, I could realize I could go out every day, find more product to bring back to my store, then sell it, then make more money. Right. I could work harder scouring eBay for things that are mispriced, buy them, resell them at my store for more money. I could work harder and make more money, almost like an athlete in the sense that like the harder they play, the better they are at what they do, the more money they make. Because I'm a business owner, they make more money that way. You necessarily don't get to do that either, which is kind of unfortunate. Like, like it's not like you're a, a you know salesman who's paid on commission. Right. Harder oh, salesman. God, I would hate commission. To oh, I, I would too. And, and I'm actually a very good salesman and I'm very competitive. I, that's why I love Rocket League. I, I think I would actually do really well. If I decide to dedicate my time to an esports thing, because I obviously been playing games a long time, but I, I can commit to something like that. But you brought up something really interesting was that once you start doing it for money, it's not fun anymore. Right. And I think if I like Rocket League, but if I started playing Rocket League for eight to 10 hours a day and just playing it and trying to master my art and my skill and then having to play every map 30 times a day, having to mm-hmm. play everything so that I could just practice. I, I agree that I think that would be, I wouldn't want to play it for fun. That's for dang sure. You know? Right. You wouldn't do it like, oh, I need to, I want to relax a little bit, play a little game that's going to take my mind off of yeah, stuff. Yeah. On a bye week, you don't see like Aaron Rodgers and the boys getting together and tossing the old pigskin around on a, on a <laughs> Sunday. You know, they don't, they don't do that. They, you know, and that's, I think that's why you see a lot of athletes going to like basketball games. Right. And going to other sports because that's something they can still enjoy mm-hmm. that, they, you know, still being competitive. But so anyway, so I posed that question to you. I was like, well, what do these guys make? Because I'm very curious to know, you know, to know that. So anyway, so you found it. Well, right. I went to, I think it's called A-List, A-List.com. And there was an article that was published last August. So August of 2016 entitled Playing the Game, How Much Esports Players Really Make. And it it talks about four different ways that an esports athlete can make money. And the biggest, well, not the, a large part of supporting that lifestyle is sponsorships. So it's anything from the chair that they use to the controller that they, you know, Yeah, the use. brand of the mouse, the headsets, right. all that Right, so anything stuff, like sure. that, a headset, you know, when I play video games, I only use my blah, 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 and whatever. So sponsorships is a big chunk. They also do make some type of salary because usually they're playing on a team teams are more focused on the big picture and so there is some salary from a from um a team-based sort of competition so they talk about there is this uh league of legends championship series and the north american league of legends team ember actually was the first organization to publicly reveal player salaries in okay. December 2016 and they don't they make reasonable amounts of money it's not anywhere near the millions of dollars that somebody on an NFL team would make or as like make as a signing bonus but, but they make making, like a good living yeah it's $65,000 in salary but then further $27,000 in performance and signing bonuses okay so almost getting to six figures yeah. I mean so they make money with salary. They also can make money winning competitions. So investing the time and the effort to go into different competitions. So Dota uh, 2 International in 2016 hosted 
a competition with $20 million in their prize pool. Now, that doesn't mean that the winning team got $20 million, but it's $20 million across however many teams enlisted. Right. And then the fourth way that they make money is through streaming. So once you become known for being a professional League of Legends player and you stream on Tuesdays and Thursdays, you bet your butt that somebody's going to watch that. Well, exactly. Yeah, like they're going to watch your practices. And, and you could even do things like you could probably even do like speeches at colleges if you wanted to and go do mm-hmm. like like speaking engagements and get paid for that sort of thing too like depending how much work you want to put into it you could become a pseudo celebrity you know obviously with your endorsements and stuff so i mean I, i'd say sixty five thousand two hundred thousand dollars a year is a pretty good salary i would say i mean well, that's it's yeah. very good especially for a single single person um depending where you live in california that would probably you'd probably still be homeless but but not only that but it broke it down i didn't know how twitch or streaming or anything like that. I didn't know how much money you can make by that, but they actually have a little figure in here. A streamer with only 2,000 subscribers or subscriptions, Mm -hmm. you can get an additional $5,000 per month by streaming. Yep. Yeah, it's actually really crazy because, and what's really funny about that, and I don't know if they're going to change this in the future, but when you have Amazon Prime, you get one free Twitch subscription. Huh. So imagine if you could get all your friends together to mm-hmm. subscribe to you that yeah. weren't using their subscription because they just had Amazon Prime for the good shipping, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and then they use that. And then all of a sudden, hey, I've got 100 subscribers and I'm making money for nothing, literally not even streaming. So if you think about that, so that's $5,000 extra per month ends up being $60,000. Yeah. For 2,000 subscribers, in addition to the $65,000 you make as a salary, plus the $27,000 you got from your your sponsorships, plus the $20,000 you got because you won a League of Legends tournament, you're at $1.7 million a year. See, but look at all the extra work you have to do. Because if you look well, at like yeah. a like a football player's salary, they make like let's say they make a million a year. Like let's let's take Aaron Rodgers. I think he's up to like twelve million a year or something. Might even be more than that now, twelve to seventeen. That's just his salary. So then mm-hmm. look at the endorsements. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine the multi million dollars he's getting for endorsements? He does what those uh, he does state like Prevea. He does State Farm. He does, he does do Ford trucks. I think yes, he got so, a free truck out of yeah. that. See, at least they could do for him. Or was it Chevy? It's a Ford it truck, Ford? I'm pretty sure. I don't know. You know, it doesn't really matter. But it does, Yeah, the State Farm and then Prevea Health, the um, Ford truck. Yep. There's there's at least one more. I oh, I'm sure. Of. I'm sure. He, and I'm sure he does a whole bunch of them, too. Uh, ones that we just haven't seen before. But So, I mean, but that's like best case scenario. $1.7 million a year. Yeah. That's best case scenario. That's being at the very, very tippity top. And it, it's hard for us to understand that because we just aren't into it. No, I'm you, not. You know, it's it's it, and it's not that there's anything wrong with it. If you do like it, it's just it's, I'm not into it. So it, to me, it is almost unfathomable. And and anyway, the whole point of talking about this was just that that kind of money does exist in esports, and it's only getting bigger. Right, because it's some projections actually also on a list. They did something last July, so the data again is a little out of date. But they're projecting by. 2019 an estimated 303 million viewers of esports yeah well i mean when espn is covering stories about it 
I mean, okay, so ESPN has esports. TBS did a Counter-Strike thing a couple months ago, I think, or maybe it was a year ago now. And then I got hit up by the CW because I, I do advertising on Fox 11's syndicated channel, the CW, which has, like, Flash and Supergirl and stuff on it. So, like, I, I advertise with them. And I was given the local rights to advertise for an H1Z1 tournament that was being hosted on CW. So, like, I advertised and I sponsored that because it fit in with my demographic, obviously. But, you know, it's getting bigger. And even smaller games are getting some serious play. And, like, that game I've been playing a lot, that Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. Yeah. That's the perfect kind of game to do really well in something like this, too. Like, it's it, you can throw in 100 people into a player pool and just one person comes out victorious. Right. I mean, ESPN's coverage of EVO 2016, which was in July, drew 200,000 viewers, but millions of people, um, social media impressions. Yeah. So people talking about it, resharing it, tweeting about it, all that kind of stuff. We're definitely seeing a shift. Almost a billion dollars of earnings for esports in 2016. It's crazy. It's it's insane. And like we said, you know, we're in that weird age where we straddle pre-social media and electronics to Yeah, we today. grew up into it and then we, we grew up with it. So we grew up without having a phone in our hand all the time. We grew up without having the ability to share video game uh, clips of our Rocket League scores. We didn't have that. It was, you know, you had your friends over to play Mario Party. Is even at the tail end of us growing up. That was in my late teens. Mm-hmm. That it, we can do without it. I don't I don't see the appeal in watching a person Twitch uh, stream. Yeah. What, what's funny, though, is I love being competitive. I'd love to play competitive games on a competitive level i i'm a tournament level tekken player so like Ooh, i play wow, that well you know <laughs> kind of big deal i'd be tournament level wwf no mercy player if there was such a thing <laughs> and uh, i would say i'm getting there at rocket league you know i'll be there someday but and I, w- I would love that like i'd love the idea to go to a rocket league tournament mm-hmm. i would never win it wasn't mean i wouldn't just love to play but um but anyway so we'd love to hear your guys opinions on esports if you'd like yeah and that's the show for today we hope uh, everyone enjoyed going back you know, to our roots and actually being able to talk about game stuff again. And now that we're back on it, um, you can always uh, send questions for the show to me on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I'm at Game Trade Greg. That's Game Trade G R E G G. And you can always tweet at me DMs or just tweet at me anytime you want. Actually, follow me, you know, like us on Facebook or Game Talk Radio on Facebook. Send us messages through there. That's cool too. I'm on Twitter as well uh, at Game Talk Gen. And it's the same for my Gmail. Awesome. So again, thank you everybody for listening and we'll see you next week. Bye. 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 bye.